Open those Bibles that you brought to Psalm 65. On Wednesday at 12.01 a.m., you will have another 8,000 hours, plus hours, 8,064 hours, allotted to you, called a new year. What will happen during those hours? What will the new year bring for you? Now, for all of us, it's going to be different. For some, a birth, perhaps. For others, a graduation or a wedding, maybe a move. Even, perhaps, tragically, a death. I heard about an elderly man who was on his deathbed upstairs in his house, and suddenly he was awakened by the aroma of chocolate chip cookies, which were his favorite. He had just enough strength to push himself up, sit on the edge of the bed, throw himself against the wall, grab a hold of the railing, make it downstairs, and lean against the <laughs> lean against the tree, lean against the <laughs> kitchen door frame, and, and and stare into the kitchen. And there he saw hundreds of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. He wondered, is this heaven? Is this the last loving effort of a devoted wife to make sure her husband leaves this world a happy man? His last bit of energy, he was able to thrust himself forward toward that table. And he landed on his knees in a slumped position. Got up on his knees, looked at the edge of the table could smell the aroma. It seemed to revive him. And then he took his withered hand and moved it toward a cookie on the edge of the table. And just then it was swatted by a spatula. It was his wife saying, stay out of those. They're for the funeral. Boy, that guy's future didn't look very bright, did it? Even his present didn't look very bright. Can you imagine? Well, I hope and trust that you're going to have a better year than that. How does the future look? Well, according to some prognosticators, some pundits, those who predict the future, they talk about all sorts of advancements that will come in this 21st century. For instance, longevity is one of them. They estimate that In the 21st century, a 65-year-old will have the body of a 45-year-old today. We're going to grow older and be stronger as we do, and that the life expectancy will be 100 years of age. They talk about replacing present limbs with artificial limbs, uh, skin tissue regeneration. At the same time, with those predictions in mind, It's true that if you survey the American public, we're not too excited about the future. At least we're not too optimistic about it. Most adult Americans face the future not with a sense of invincibility, but attention. It's estimated that 52%, less than 52%, are optimistic about the future as compared to 69% a year earlier. Psalm 65, we've turned to it tonight. It's written by David. And uh, the psalm gives some insight, I believe, 
some keen insight into how to face the future. The future. You know, we do this every year. It's amazing, isn't it? How quickly the year goes by. How quickly it turns around. And I know that you know the older you get, the more it seems like they're just weeks away. Every new year just keeps coming. There's a sign in a psychiatrist's office that read, in two days, tomorrow will be yesterday. That's good perspective. It shows you, number one, time waits for no man. It shows you, number two, all the things you're worried about will be history very, very shortly. Um, In fact, speaking of that, I heard of a woman, actually, whose favorite verse in the Bible was, and it came to pass, which is an interesting verse to have as your favorite verse. The King James Bible, I think, 547 times uses the phrase, and it came to pass. And one evening in a church meeting, They were going around discussing favorite verses. She said, mine is, and it came to pass. And they looked at her like, what? Why would that be your favorite verse? She said, because no matter what happens in my life, even if it's really bad, I know it hasn't come to stay, it has come to pass. (laughs) Okay, whatever works. The 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher said, I love this, we have passed through one more year. One more long stage in the journey of life with its ascents and descents and dust and mud and rocks and thorns and burdens that wear the shoulders is done. The old year is dead. Roll it away. Let it go. God in His providence has brought us out of it. And now we stand at the beginning of the next, the new By God's grace, we have been what we have been, and by God's grace, we shall have our experiences in days to come. In other words, here's the time at this threshold of this brand new experience called the new year to start afresh and to set new patterns. And that's what I hope will occur as a result of tonight's study, is that we will see a new pattern of approach. Now, Psalm 65 was written for a yearly celebration of a feast, probably the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated in the fall when the first barley was brought before the Lord and waved before Him. And I've been in Israel when they have dancing and singing and rejoicing. And it is thought that this psalm was written to be prayed and repeated every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. But there's some unique elements that talk about how we can face the new year. Now let's just read through the psalm as a whole and we'll get the first one. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. Iniquities prevail against me as for our transgressions. They will provide atonement for them. Blessed, or how happy is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who establish the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. 
You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness. And your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness and on the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys are also covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. There's something missing in this psalm that we read that brings our first point and our first way to approach the new year. Approach the new year with the absence of complaining. Because here you have a psalm that absolutely has no complaints. No complaints. Which is not true of all the psalms. As you know, there are certain psalms that are written with much complaint. Honest prayers by honest people fill the Psalter from beginning to end. Some psalms are called laments, personal laments. Some are called communal laments. Other psalms are known as imprecatory psalms, where the psalmist asks God for vengeance upon his enemies. In fact, in Psalm 142, the psalmist says, I pour out my complaint before you, and you hear all my trouble. And there's nothing wrong with being that honest before God. But here, in this psalm, David takes a higher ground. There's no imprecation, there's no protest, there's no whining, there's no anger. It's filled with other things, but there is absolutely no complaining. Now, it's not that, it's not that David is blind. It's not that he's living in denial that there's trouble around him. In fact, if you notice in verse 3, David mentions iniquities and transgressions. In verse 3, he mentions the need for atonement. In verse 7, he speaks of international and multinational struggles. So he knows this stuff is around him, but he's not entering into focusing in on them. The best way for you to face this next year is to have a determined attitude not to be a griper, a complainer, a whiner. And by the way, that's the best way not only to look ahead, but to look back as you review your past. Did bad things happen to you this year? Probably. Will they happen this next year? Uh-huh. Did people sin against you in 2002? Oh, probably they did. And you probably noticed that they did. And you will probably notice that they will. And were there and are there international struggles all around us? Oh, you bet. They are absolutely everywhere. And God doesn't ask you to live in denial of the truth. But He asks you to live in a, in a lifestyle level that is above what everybody else does, which is complain. You see, to complain as a Christian is insulting to God because it is exercising your unbelief that God is taking care of you. Now think about it. David, in another psalm, said this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I will not be in need. 
Now that was a statement of faith. He knew what was going on around him and inside of him, but he made a statement. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I shall want or be in need of. A complaining sheep is a disgrace to the shepherd. It's saying, my shepherd didn't take good care of me. And so think for a moment how unbelievers view your life if you're a complainer. They're going to say, why do I want to become one of God's sheep? You're not happy. I look at your life, all you do is gripe and complain. Why should I become like you? You're not happy with the way God treats you. It was breakfast. And one dad opened his Bible and piously quoted a verse and piously bowed his head and prayed, Oh dear God, bless this food which you have provided. Then, after the amen, he complained about the food and berated his wife for cooking such a lousy breakfast. Well, the little daughter was insightful. Kids often are. And she just said very innocently, Dad, did God hear your prayer? Oh, yes, my dear, God hears every prayer. Uh, Well, Dad, did God hear you get mad at Mom and complain about the food? Very nervously, he said, well, yeah. And the little girl said, Dad, which one does God believe? The first or the second? The complaining part or the pray for the food part? You know, God takes complaining very seriously. Did you know that? The children of Israel were in the desert, and God took care of them for 40 years, and they mumbled, and they murmured, and they complained, didn't they? Against Moses, against God. And uh, they complained about the water. They complained about the food, the lack thereof. They complained about the kind of food, even when God gave them food. Well, what about happened to the steak sandwiches and stuff we got back in Egypt? All the spices. It got so bad that the complaining, the infamous act of complaining, becomes immortalized throughout Jewish history. So that every year when the deliverance of Egypt is mentioned, the complaining is mentioned too. Oops. Talk about something that just hangs around. Back in the book of Numbers 14, the Lord says, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? But it wasn't over yet. Because in Psalm 106, the psalmist says concerning that era, Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but they complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Boy, I find that interesting. They didn't even complain outside their tent. It was just husband and wife, you know, kids. Nobody's listening to us. God was in the tent listening to their gripes. Then in the New Testament, it is also an example. In 1 Corinthians 10, let me just read a small section to you. Uh, Paul the Apostle says that these things, these historical things, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted Christ and were destroyed. Nor let us complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Did you get that? Complaining is in the same camp as sexual immorality and idolatry, etc., 
God takes it very, very seriously. So, best way to enter the new year is right here, right now, determine, I'm not going to be a whiner. If you're known for that, this is a good time to reevaluate and stop. Somebody once said, just remember, when you complain, half the people you tell don't care, and the other half are glad you finally got what you deserve. Second, face the new year with the presence of praising. Look at verse 1. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. Excuse me. Now that's the, that's the opening line of the psalm. Praise is waiting for you in Zion, in Jerusalem, in the place where, where the temple is. Praise is waiting for you. Then the rest of the psalm is divided into two parts. The first part is the praising God for spiritual blessings and then praising God for natural blessings. The spiritual blessings include answered prayer, verse 2, atonement provided, verse 3, the approachability of God in His temple, verse 4, and God's involvement in human affairs, verse 5. Second part is praising God for natural blessings. Uh, Verse 6, the mountains that are around that protect people, The waves of the ocean, God gets praise for. Verse 7, amen for that. Uh, Verse 8, universal consistency of sunrise, sunsets. You know, we can count on that every day, that consistency. And then verses 9 and 10 is praising God for the hydrological cycle, the rain, the snow, the melting of the snow, the rivers that go into rivulets and water the fields. Then... The last part of the psalm, verse 11 through 13, is a summary, just sort of summing it up, saying, well, we praise you for your abundant provision. Your abundant provision. Enter the new year with the absence of complaining and enter the new year with the presence of praising. You know, praising and griping don't mix well, do they? Don't you think there's something inconsistency about worship and whining? It is inconsistent. James even noted in the New Testament, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Speaking of a spring, down in certain parts of Mexico, I hear there are hot springs and cold springs side by side. And there was a tourist visiting Mexico and noticed that there's a hot spring and a cold spring and it was so convenient that the local village woman would bring their laundry down, boil their clothes in the hot water, rinse them in the cold. And this guy said to his Mexican guide, boy, I bet these people are really thankful to God that he provides such ample water, hot and cold, in such abundance next to each other for free. No, senor. There is much grumbling that he has provided no soap, said the guide. Hey, you want to stop grumbling? Start worshiping. Start worshiping. They can't coexist. You want to stop being a complainer? Start praising the Lord. Christmas Eve. I won't tell you which service. I don't remember the name. But somebody walked up to me after Christmas Eve service. First words out of his mouth. You know the one thing I don't like about this church? 
I smiled and said, what? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. What? God bless you. He said, uh, he said, the one thing I don't like about this church is that people save seats. Now, I, I just said, oh, okay. I didn't go into a diatribe that that's not like an official policy. We've got to save seats. That's what we do at Calvary. We save seats. It's just the people get here early. And it's a place they want to come, and they come and they save seats. It's not a policy. In fact, we tell people at a certain point, sorry. But I got to thinking, you know, if he had come to worship God, if he had come to praise the Lord, would it be an issue? It wouldn't be an issue, would it? Because you can praise God in that seat or that seat or that seat or outside or in the foyer or in the hub. You can praise Him sitting down on the floor or standing up around the perimeter as we did in the services Christmas Eve. If the attitude is worship, it's not an issue. And also, if you come early, it's not a problem, right? Then I got to thinking about Thanksgiving. <laughs> it wasn't that just a little over a month ago? Let's see. Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. That's when we all gathered with banners and we're so thankful, right, for everything. What happened? Well, the Christmas season happened, right? As soon as Thanksgiving is over, you got Christmas season. You have vigilante shoppers and <laughs> Al-Qaeda drivers. This just shift takes place culturally. But it's because we are seeing Thanksgiving as a once a year eruption rather than as a lifestyle. I've told you before, I'd love to revise the whole thing. I'd like to have gripe day. One day, get it over with. 364 days, praise God for His blessings that are so abundant. Instead of doing it one day of the year. 1 Thessalonians 5 is for the Christian. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I'd rather be blind, deaf, and dumb and lose my taste and my smell than not to love Christ. To be able to not appreciate Him is the worst of all disabilities, the most serious of all calamities, He says it proves the death of the soul. So enter the new year with the absence of complaining, with the presence of praising. Number three, enter the new year with confidence abounding. You'll notice something about this psalm. You already have. It's in the first person. It's written from David to God. The word you is used frequently. He says... Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. To you shall the vow be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Verse 3, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. But look especially at verse 5. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation, who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. Here you have a God-centered psalm. 
And because this guy is in a relationship with God and his prayer is God-centered, not me-centered, there is a confidence that pervades the whole writing of the psalm. And I love verse 5. Look at it again. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth. The Hebrew word mibtach, mibtach, confidence, security, safety, firmness of foundation, which is the talk of the town, homeland, security, national safety. Here's a guy who is facing his year, his future, with confidence, with confidence. Um, David is confident that God will answer prayer, verse 2 and verse 5. He is confident that God will call every man into final account, verse 2. He's confident that God will provide atonement for the sin of his people, verse 3. He's confident that God's people will be cared for and thus contented, verse 4. And he's confident that God will sustain him through the entire year, verse 11. Question, did David know his future? No. Did David know his God who knew his future? Yes, and that's why he is so confident. As Corey Tim Boom used to say, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Approach your new year with confidence abounding. Now, I hope you're starting to see a pattern emerge here. When you know God, you start trusting Him. Right? It breeds a confidence in God. You know God, you're confident in God. When you're confident in God, that leads to praise of God. And it's that praise of God that expels complaining. One leads to the other. Now here's the, here's the secret, here's the key. The starting point. David's starting point was not himself. His starting point was God. There's not a lot of self-help in the Bible. There's not a lot of God helps those who help themselves. No, the starting point is always God. And that's David's starting point. Because he had the right starting point, God, he had the right ending, resting point, which is, ah. Confidence in God led to praise of God, which led to the expelling of griping and complaining. So, as you face your new year, what is your confidence in? The government? The United Nations? The Super Bowl? I don't know. What's your starting point? Your friends, yourself, or your God? I don't know if you looked around lately, but we live in a very unstable society. There's lots of possibilities that could happen at any day. But the starting point is God. Before you can live rightly, before anybody can live rightly, we have to get right with God. The novelist H.G. Wells said, Until man has found God, he begins at no beginning. He works to no end. How many people do you know that live just like that? Like a rocking chair. They're making a lot of motion going nowhere. A lot of movement, a lot of planning, a lot of education, a lot of work, a lot of parties, a lot of come down from the parties, more plan. But to what? Even the very infamous agnostic by the name of Bertrand Russell admitted this, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. You might say this, your uplook determines your outlook. It's like 
It's like two planes with a fixed axis. You have the right uplook, you'll have the right outlook. But if you don't have the right uplook, you have a very dismal outlook. Speaking of the right outlook, did you notice verse 11 is sort of the hinge verse tonight? He says to God, You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Isn't that the kind of confidence you want to live with this next year? I I pray that you'll be able to say that. This isn't a positive confession. There's going to be difficulties, tragedies, ecstasies. All of those are a part of life. All of those are a part of life. But here's my question. Which will you focus on? The bumps in the road or the blessings in the road? Which will you gravitate toward? Will you say as a statement of faith before God, whom you know is good and loves you, you're going to crown the year with goodness. You drip abundance. There was a monastery I heard about in Mount Serrat in Spain. You know, in some monasteries, this one, there was a code that the young men of the monastery cannot speak except two words every two years. So this new young guy came into the monastery and couldn't say anything, and he's getting used to that whole silence thing, and two years come up, it's his turn to be invited to speak. It's like a, give him a gesture, and he says two words, food lousy. <laughs> two more years go by, he gets two more words. On that fourth year interview, he says, bad lumpy. Two more years go by. This is sixth year now. His interview comes up. He says two words. I quit. (laughs) And the superior behind the desk says, well, I'm not surprised because all you've done since you've arrived is complain, complain, complain. (laughs) Compare that to you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. I pray that will be your experience. Finally, we'll close with this. Enter the new year with excellence directing. Or you might say excellence motivating you. Verse 1, it says, Not only is praise waiting for you, God, in Zion, and to you the vow, the vow shall be performed. The vow is a promise deed. It's somebody making a promise to God. And here's basically the promise. We'll obey you, God. Come on, God, come to Zion. you got praise waiting for you, and you have a group of people who are willing to say, we're going to obey you this year. That's the vow performed. That's the excellence with which we live. You've noted something, especially toward the second part of the psalm and the end, is that all of creation responds to God, right? The water goes to where God wants it to go. The fields grow when God wants it to. Everything in created nature responds to the Creator, except one, typically, and that's mankind, because we have volition, we have free will. David is saying, this human being that you have created, I too will respond to you, O Lord. I will live and obey you. So, we stand at the threshold of a new year. Typically, it's a time we look back. Typically, it's a time we look forward. Some of us are going to swear off old habits. We say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change this area. 
And then we make a resolution. We're going to maintain new habits, maybe get in shape, maybe spend more time with our families. Can I bring you to a a place that is the best place for you to be? The best place for you to be is to enter the year with excellence motivating and directing you before God. That is to set a priority of obedience. Lord, I want to live my year by your grace, by your help, in excellence. Why? Because God deserves the best, that's why. Because God deserves the best. To obey and serve Him with excellence is what God deserves. Excellence in worship. Excellence in nurturing your family. Excellence in being a witness before the world. Dr. Howard Kelly was the first surgeon who looked into, in his research, developed the use of radium in cancer treatments. Very, very renowned physician. The night before he graduated from medical school, he wrote an entry in his journal. Here is from a physician about to take a medical exam the next day. And he writes in his journal, I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambitions, everything to him. Bless, Lord, sanctify me to thy uses. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. What a thing to write for a doctor. What a thing to write for a secretary, for a pastor, for somebody who has a menial task or a complex task. This year will be lived in excellence before God because it will be a life of obedience. Listen. Let God take care of your future. Let God be the one who will crown your year with His goodness. You just give Him the best. You give Him the best. When you hear certain words, certain other things come to mind. Example. When I mention the name Stradivarius to you, let's see, do you think of junk? Do you think of... uh, somebody who doesn't spend much attention to detail, you think exactly the opposite. You think high quality. That's because Antonius Stradivarius, his philosophy is that no violin would leave my shop unless it is as near perfection as humanly possible. You want to know why? Because he said God needs violins to send his music into the world, and if any violins are defective, God's music will be spoiled. His philosophy was summed up in one sentence. Other men will make other violins, but no man, no man shall make a better one. He wasn't a doctor. He couldn't write what that surgeon wrote in his journal. He was a music, a violin maker. But he did it with excellence, as did the doctor with excellence. The idea is whatever station in life we're at, whatever whatever role we play is to say, my life will be in obedience because I want to live it with excellence. So here's the bottom line. I'm not saying you should turn over a new leaf. I'm suggesting a whole new root system. That you let go of the old, whatever happened in the old, let it go, right? Forget about it. Forget about it! (laughs) Grab a hold of the new, 
with hope. Enter into this new year, determined to enter the year with the absence of complaining, the presence of praising, the confidence abounding, and finally, excellence directing. You've heard of Thomas Edison. Did you know in 1914, when he was 67 years old, his entire laboratory was burned in an inferno that destroyed everything? And the next day, there's old Thomas Edison walking through the smoldering ruins, looking around. He made a comment. He said, there's value in destruction. It means that all my mistakes are burned up. And thank God, thank God for the new possibilities. Heavenly Father, this year is practically burned up. It's gone. There's not much left. A couple of days to sew up a few loose ends. And then we launch out into those 8,064 more hours that mark a new year. We're all going to go there, probably. Lord willing, as we do, I pray, Lord, for a new root system for so many of us. That we'd march boldly ahead with the absence of complaining, the presence of praising, with confidence abounding and with that sense, desire of excellence that would be directing us. Because you deserve the best. You have given us your best. Our year has been crowned with goodness. The paths that you have provided drip with your abundance. We confess we don't always walk in them, but your paths are the best paths. As we determine this year to set our priorities correct, bless, Lord. And I pray for those who have not included you as the center of their lives, who aren't beginning with you, that tonight it would be a brand new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen.